All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. There are sermon notes in the bulletin. And verses 10 and 11, as we come back to our study, this is our third study in this section of Scripture. And what we have done already is come to this text of Scripture that I said many people could easily just read over. It's like, wow, why are you spending so much time on this section of Scripture? Number one is that we did a topical study on Timothy. And initially, this was all supposed to be just one message. But as I got into this, I was amazed about all the information there was on Timothy. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then we did an expositional study on verses 10 and 11. And then we did, um, well, we had always planned to come to this part where we're going to do the third part, the topical study on how to keep unity. So let me read verses 10 and 11. It says, Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. Then verse 11. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Now remember, this is a text of scripture that is about travel plans. If you aren't with us, Paul is in Ephesus, we've learned, and he is in Asia where Ephesus is, and he's writing to this church in Greece um, that is in Achaia, the southern part of of Greece. And you see in verse 5, he says, I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. Macedonia is in the north, Achaia is in the south. And he goes, from going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you. And so verses 5 through 10 deal with these travel plans. And when we work through them, though, there was a surprise in here, a surprise that if you sit back and you think about it, really should stun you because when he says um, in verses 10 and 11, now if Timothy comes, see that he's with you without cause to be afraid, that you should say, wait a second. He's not writing persecutors of the church. He's not writing people who hate the church. He's writing the church saying, hey, this guy's going to visit. He's going to minister among you. You better take care of him. And again, like I've said, this is something where people easily just could run through it and you, instead of sitting back and here is the benefit of expository teaching where it's not just the word studies, it's really understanding the context. Wait a second. What in the world are you writing this type of, of warning to to a church? Well, we're getting to it because it really fits and brings together the entire letter. The entire letter was this concept of correcting the church, correcting the church because it was being fractured because they were going their own way and thinking their own way and and. There were believers that were maybe led astray, but there were unbelievers in there too. And it's not for us necessarily always time to sort that out. But Paul is trying to keep the church united. And so here's a charge to protect Timothy. But what is at stake is at the unity in the church. And so I said, this is a charge for unity. Unity is the idea of oneness, working as a team. It is so key. It is coming together on a Sunday morning. It is being at a church picnic, but it's more than that, okay? And so, yes, 
It is when the church has this united front, and we're going to do a study of what unity looks like as we move forward today as well. But what I want to talk about is how unity is so important. It's very critical in a church, and I touched upon it. It is very critical in other areas of life, and you can get application for a nation, a marriage, friendships, any type of relationships, family, how unity is vital. And so as we are watching a country more and more sin, and we are seeing sin more abound, we're seeing more and more disunity. We see it in our nation, we see it in our marriages, we see it in our families, we see it in friendships. And when there, are, there is so much disunity, it's painful. And sometimes you start to think it's just the norm, when in actuality, it's not what God initially planned. He doesn't want people to live in disunity. There are so many blessings from unity. And so it's painful when disunity is there, but such a blessing when it is there. And sadly, as I watch it through all areas of our culture, it does come into the church. And some of you have been impacted by it, and you've dealt with church splits, and you've dealt with divisions in churches, and it's hard. And ironically, Dave Bauer spoke a little bit about what causes disunity when he talked about the weeds in a garden and I thought, how ironic. I listened to his message. Dave Bauer was the guest speaker when I was on vacation last week. And I booked that, um, him as a guest speaker back, I think, in March and April. I had no idea what he was going to talk about. And looked, I felt, wow. I never even asked him what to speak on. And yet it fits perfectly with this study. Can you imagine how God has his hand on things like that? And so um, we... We listened to him, I, if you were here, and he talked about how the fruits of the Spirit, uh, deeds of the flesh, bring out disunity. And, and, and his entire ministry is trying to bring unity to churches. So that's just ironic how that all worked out. So as we come to this study, why did we talk about Timothy? If you got your sermon notes, we, we said, who is Timothy? And so these are the summary points. Um, basically, when we talked about Timothy, I would encourage you go back and listen to that podcast, look at the YouTube video. We went into great depth in all of these. My summary point on that is that Timothy was no slouch. He was someone that was significant. And I do think it is taken out of context when Paul warns Timothy not to be timid in 1 Timothy. Paul was in prison. Paul was facing execution. Timothy was in his 40s. He was a pastor of a church. He'd been on multiple missionary journeys through all kinds of dangers. For us to start to think that Timothy was some weakly wimp is just, I think, really reading into the text. I think Paul was like saying, hey, don't be timid. If you have to die getting your head cut off, do it. I mean, (laughs) so please understand, Timothy was no wimp. So you look at verse 10, it says, now if Timothy comes, I believe we're talking about the Timothy of the Bible, First and Second Timothy. So all of those points are in your sermon notes. Then we talked about what is Paul's charge to the church, and we broke it down that be aware that he might come, don't let Timothy be afraid, don't let people despise Timothy was a result of bad attitude. The, uh, the word for, for um, to despise was in the air subjunctive. It was the result, but we said it was the result of bad thinking, not processing things right. And then we said the last part, if you look at verse 11, so um, send him away in peace. And it wasn't just, hey, have a good day. It was make sure that when he's with you, it's a harmonious 
harmonious visit. So when we looked at all of that, I started to say to myself, wait, this is really great. This is wonderful that we see that Paul is calling Timothy um, to be protected, and he wants unity in the church. And so I put on my initial plan is, what can we do to keep unity? But then I was asked a question, what does unity look like? And I thought, wow, that's a really great point. So let's talk about that. What does unity look like? And so, as I noted in our original study, one of the things that really blew me away, and it might blow you away (laughs) from an exciting standpoint of studying the Bible, is that there are hundreds of verses on unity in the scriptures. Hundreds of verses in unity in the scriptures. And so I thought, well, in answering this question, where do I go? How, what, what verses do I pull together? Because if there's hundreds of these, we should, uh, we could do an extensive study, but I thought, let me just pick out a couple, and I'm, we're going to have like four passages to go through. For the very first one is this, turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1.27. So if you were going to put together a theology of what unity looks like, I would think that there are two key um, um, New Testament books, with the very first one being Philippians. Philippians, we even have booklets over here by Pastor Gil Rue, has the theme, The Joy of Unity. And he wrote a book on that, and it's been broken up into a bunch of little individual booklets. But the book of Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison at about 58, 59 AD, has this idea of the believer should have joy. And this is why throughout the book, 16, 17 times, it emphasizes rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. But it talks about unity. And I'm just going to pick out a couple passages from this. And the very first one is in 127. So if you look at verse 127 of the book of Philippians, as Paul is dealing with disunity and trying to keep the church together, he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, the idea of one unity, one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so what I believe he's emphasizing here is the one spirit in the sense that not the Holy Spirit, but the human spirit, that there's a sense where we're together. There's a mindset of us working together. We're thinking alike. And that's why he then goes into the idea of one mind, one-minded approach. And, and, and then also... The idea as you're striving together for the faith of the gospel and the sense of there's a battle going on. And that's why in verse 28, he talks about not being alarmed by your opponents. And I think one of the key things in dealing with unity is disunity causes you to look inward where you need to be looking outward towards the enemy because there is an enemy, as we talked in earlier studies of Satan as well as sin, that gets into the unbelievers who come against the church. So the idea of, I hear you standing firm in one spirit, one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, again, very extensive study that you could do there, but you know, start thinking about how your spirit is designed to, your, 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 your spirit has an attitude. Like, you know, this is my team, my church. This is the, my, the thinking that we're getting from the word of God and then the idea of how we are striving for the gospel. Then go over to chapter 2, chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul has one of the most 
intense, I, I'd say, exhortations regarding unity in all the scriptures. So I'm going to pick up in verse 5, and he says, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and, and these are all conditional statements where, yes, there is. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I was stopping there because the rest of this chapter elaborates on this. And, and so the key principles are, again, same mindset, same love, and the love there is agape love, the sacrificial love, and then united in spirit. Again, I think it's human spirit, um, intent on one purpose, uh, not being selfish, dealing with being humble, and then ultimately being like Christ. And so we have to realize that these are all, a lot of attributes throwing at us where a lot of it deals with you losing. What do you mean losing? Well, when I deal with, and I've been applying this to relationships, marriages, sometimes someone gets offended and they'll say, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna forgive, I'm not gonna forgive, I'm not gonna put up with this anymore. Well, anyone that realizes long-term relationships are going to be filled with offenses has to understand how important it is to have forgiveness, to have humility in it. Otherwise, you end up being separated. And that's why anyone that has been married 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and we watch people who get divorced at 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, it's like so shocking because you say to yourself, haven't you learned anything? Haven't you learned how to continue to work this through? Because the reality of it is, is marriage is a relationship where you're continually working on, on dealing with offenses, dealing with having to practice humility. Um, and, and so recently I've had some friends get divorced after 20 plus years of marriage, and I'm absolutely stunned that they've had to go through this. And someone not in our church, and I just feel so bad for them. But what I did see was how one of the spouses just got so selfish. So I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to be hurt. Well, when you apply this then to church splits, church disunity, it's the same thing, people. It's the same thing. These, these attributes that are in Philippians chapter 2 are so good. And it, it, again, let's look at it from the idea of like having that same mindset, being on the same team, being united in spirit. What an incredible blessing it is when you've got that. But so much of what, the, what people don't understand is to get there takes sacrifice. And the person that says like, oh, I just want to have this you know, wonderful, united you know, um, marriage and you know, we're going to be together forever, don't realize, boy, you need to practice this. And so it's the same thing in life and church and friendships and marriages as it is in a church. So here's another passage. Look at these. This is another passage that deals with unity, Colossians chapter 3. And it's ironic that Paul is writing these to um, um, people while he's in prison. And he's sacrificing a lot because all he has to do is deny Christ and he's out of prison. 
but he is in prison writing Philippians, writing Colossians, and we come to chapter 12, chapter 3, verse 12, and he says this, so as those have been chosen of God, all right, as Christians we believe that we're chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of what? Unity. Unity. And I told you about that church that had a church split some 30, 40 years ago because somebody got offended by, they thought someone in the church leadership said something they didn't like. And so they were going to not put up with that. There's no way we're putting up with that. We're not forgiving. We're walking out. I can't wait. I think someone, when they face God, and they're going to say, wait a second, you caused the church split because you were offended by something somebody said and you didn't forgive and you walked out? You know, listen, one of the great blessings when you still have a marriage, you have a friendship, and you have, you have a relationship where you are with someone long-term, one of the great qualities is forgiveness. You've got forgiveness. You've got all of these attributes, um, the traits of caring for one another. Look at verse 12. Those who have been um, chosen of God, you're putting on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is what unity looks like, where people are putting these attributes on and they're caring for one another, bearing with one another. What do you mean bearing with one another? It's like, oh, easy to read, but it means you irritated me, and I'm putting up with you. And, and, and so, like I said, um, we, we talked about a couple of year, years ago. I mean, over the years, I've heard um, about how marriage seminars ask, have, from the world ask people to write up all the differences of why um, they're irritated by their spouse. And, and I got a wonderful text after my last message from someone in the church, and I've shared this with a few of you, where someone said that they went to a marriage seminar just like that. And, it, and as they were going through the seminar, they were asked, what are all the things you don't like about your spouse? And this one spouse came up with two pages, and the other spouse came up with just two things. And when the spouse that wrote the two pages looked at what the other spouse wrote, it humbled them. And they tore theirs up, and they never shared it. And I still cry about that. I think about how wonderful that is. Because, listen, people, to succeed in life, you got to bear with one another. And, and people that don't get it, they go from relationship to relationship to relationship. And so, I'm just telling you, these are passages where God calls people to bear with one another, forgive one another. And so, as I started thinking look, I just went through three passages and I thought, there's so much out there. Like I already told you, like there's a hundred different scriptures. I, I googled, what does church unity look like so I could summarize it? And I came across an article based on Ephesians 4. So if you'll turn there, I got, this will be the last passage. I told you we're only going to go through four passages. But I found this article that is written by a man named David S. Schrock. I'd never heard of him before. I looked at his credentials, and, and, and I read his entire article, and I, I'm going to summarize it for you. And if you're interested in getting it, email me. I'll send it to you. But it should be easy to find. David S. Schrock, and S-H-R-O-C-K. 
And what I want to do is just briefly go through this. I'm not going to read Ephesians 4 until I read a quote from his because it's in there. Otherwise, I would have read the whole thing. It's kind of long. So I want to read to you what he wrote. And he summarizes the key attributes. Like if I, you're saying, what does unity look like? This is, to me, one of the best expositions of a text of Scripture that I think you could find out there to really summarize what does church unity look like. Then you can apply it again. You wish it would be for a nation. You wish it would be for a marriage. You wish it would be for a family. So Schrock says this. Few things are more important for growth as a Christian than learning how to walk in unity with others. And at the same time, few things more confused than discussions about unity in the church today. And he wrote this article in 2017, so relatively recent. He goes on to say, Indeed, how many seek Christian unity without the foggiest idea of what Scripture says about the church? And thus they seek unity in the church with definitions and desires formed without the light of Scripture. Still, unity in the church is a goal that biblical churches must pursue. Jesus prayed for it in John 17, and we can say Jesus died for it according to Ephesians 2. And thankfully, Scripture speaks of it in passages like Ephesians 4. Therefore, consider 10 truths that we find in Ephesians about what church unity is and is not. Now, let me just go through these, and you can do your best to write these down, but I, again, I will send these to you. Number one, based on Ephesians 4, unity is a gift from God, and we know the world is falling apart. It's sinful, and unless God brings things together, we won't have unity. Unity is maintained, not created by man, okay, and, and maintained by God and worked by God and something that we just don't come up with. It's something we've also got to work at. Um, unity grows over time. Some people think, oh, it's just naturally, you know. And this is also, too, I got to tell people, you know, one of the things, like sometimes this whole concept of love at first sight, Love at first sight. What do you mean love at first sight? Well, we're just, you, marriage is this unity. You see this person and you're united. You know you're on the same page. It's thankful if some people see each other from across a crowded room and then they, they, they go together and they stay married for the next hundred years or whatever. But the reality of it is true unity grows over time. And uh, unity is most opposed by pride and self-interest. Unity is uniquely, is a uniquely Christian adornment because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And we really show our love. Remember, Jesus said that the world will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. So unity requires a doctrinal center, the gospel. Unity does not mean uniformity, that we all look alike, dress alike, do the same thing. There's allowed diversity. Unity depends on grace and gifts because Ephesians 4 will talk about that. And unity grows when it is stretched, pressured, and even threatened. And then um, unity, it glorifies God and attracts believers. And so each one of these, if you would read his article, he goes into great depths on it. And you can get further study. But I thought since number nine up there deals a lot with what we're dealing with with 1 Corinthians, let me read a little bit longer little quote what he said about this. And he says, he says, Regarding number nine, now this may be the most difficult truth to get or embrace, but it is most important, and it projects earnest Christians from being overly jaded with disunited churches. Okay, so for some of you, if you deal with things that are causing disunity, he's, what he's basically saying is, if you understand this properly, number nine, 
then you don't get like, oh, I've got to go find the church where we have unity, where I'm looking for it. And, and, and so let me just read. He goes, in a world filled with devils and in churches that range in maturity and cultural background, church unity will only come through seasons of disunity and difficulty. In other words, because unity is contingent on maturity, unity and maturity are a process that takes time. And obviously, that's why I said, you see a couple divorced after 30, 40 years. Are you not getting it? Because maturity is a process that takes time. Unity is not a piece that falls on the church. It is the product of the church growing up in love. Consider again the words of Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. So look at your Bibles now. I told you this is when I'm going to read the quote. Verses 15 and 16 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together, that's the unity, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the entire section deals a lot with unity. But that, those two verses are key. Schrock goes on to say, rather speaking, um, he goes, does that kind of unity sound easy? Construction, meaning making something, is not easy. Forming new habits is hard, and forming new life is even more so. Just ask a pregnant mother. In the process of church growth, unity is not a given. It is the result of spirit-empowered labor. It is something, therefore, God must do in the church over time. And this process of unity and maturity is often filled with pain. And that's why you hear, oh, the, my marriage isn't working out. It's painful. It hurts. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm out of this friendship. I'm out of this relationship. I'm out of this church. Schrock goes on to say, when I was in middle school, I grew 12 inches in less than three years. As a result, my back ached every step of the way, literally. Growing pains are just that. They are pains that result in growth. I think sometimes we expect that because Jesus prayed for unity, anything that looks like disunity is a disappointment. Yet this is why he prayed, because he's growing his church in unity. So remember, disunity is a necessary step on the way to unity. Just like bodies grow strong when they push against heavy weights, so unity must also come through resistance training. And anybody that's ever worked out, and you guys can know I work out, do the weights. It's hard. You push yourself. And uh, you have to push yourself. And, you, and Carl and I were once talking about lifting weights and how if you don't remember what weight you had before and you keep doing a lighter weight, you're not really pushing yourself. You got to push yourself. Sometimes the harder the, 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 to really make advances, you got to push yourself. And so sad when people go through tough situations and say, and say I'm walking out of this friendship because it's hard. And, and instead of pushing through, I'm going to say this. People who have unity get it. And, and so, like I said, if you want this article, I'll send it to you if you can't find it, but it's David S. Schrock. So here we go, all right? How can we keep unity? How do we keep unity? And again, there are many different principles in, uh, that are out there of what unity looks like. But I thought, let's just take some passages, and I just have five, and we'll be able to quickly go through these. And, and so I'm uh, very much aware that we got a church picnic today. So we'll quickly go through these. Number one, if, if you, you're taking notes, there we go. We're not going. I'm not getting a number one. We were going so well. 
There we go. Okay, you get to see both of them. Make it a goal, all right? First, turn to 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. And let me just read verse 11. It says, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Why did I start here with this verse? Well, 2 Corinthians, remember, is the culmination of Paul writing the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Basically, he's working through this, these issues of correction to bring about church unity in all of them. And so when he comes here, he basically says, look, live in peace. Have this. And the idea of be is like a state of being. So it's like this is where you're shooting for. This is what you're to do, or obviously. But a state of being is a little bit different than like an action. It's sort of like this is the result. This is what, what you're, you're, you're working for. And, and my point here is shoot for it. Make it a goal. Listen, I love baseball. I love basketball. I like all kinds of sports, even try to play golf. And one of the things I know in all sports is if you don't see the ball, you don't hit it. I, I learned that over and over and over from being a little kid. Look, hit, you know, got to see the ball. You got to see the ball. And if you're shooting to make a basket, you got to look at the rim. You can't just blindly throw. Well, listen, in life, if you don't aim for something, you're not going to hit it. If you say, I'm going into a marriage and I'm going to be committed to being united with a person, no matter what comes, then you know what? You end up staying together. You end up working things through. I'm going to be united at this church. I'm going to be united in this friendship. This is someone that we have a goal to be together. And so in life, if you don't aim for unity, I doubt it will just fall out. And, and, and you know, it's interesting that the scriptures talk about how people bring about disunity with their own actions. Um, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands, Proverbs says. And then we know that a man can be just as foolish. And so what we must recognize is that I say to myself, this is something that I am going to work for. But I'm recognizing that in life, that the way it works is that somewhere along the line, I've got to lose. And, and, and what do I mean by that? It's like, again, where you talk about the idea of, of suffering some type of harm, suffering, suffering some type of, of thing that hurts you. I'm hurt. Well, God says, make this a goal. Live in unity. Strive for this. And we, I already hit it up. Work at humility. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I wasn't going to reverse it because the, the screen wasn't going at the right time. But Romans chapter 12. When I mention Romans chapter 12, again, whenever I, I, I do a reference, I try to give you the entire context. You know, in Romans, when you come to the 12th chapter, I would hope by now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that this is a chapter that starts off with you giving your body as a sacrifice to God a living sacrifice. And when you come to verses 9 to the end of the chapter, it's these 25 attributes that you're supposed to practice. I've gone through these. I've tried to memorize these. I've tried to exhort you guys to memorize these. And all of these deal with you losing somehow, some way. And when you come to verse 16, it says this. 
It says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise with your own in your own estimation. And I said that this is working at humility because this is, in essence, the essence of humility. You can jot, and I could have taken you to Philippians 2, the passage we read earlier in Philippians 2, where it talks about being humble. The idea of lowliness, thinking of others as more important than yourself, as Philippians said. Do you guys ever think it's ironic that Moses, in Numbers chapter 12, is writing it, and, and some people think he, maybe he didn't write it, maybe it came in later, but it states in Numbers, and Moses is supposed to be the author of Numbers, is that he was the most humble person in the world. Humility isn't this thing where you look around and say, well, I guess I am humble. There's a reality of placement, of action, where you place yourself lowly, you place yourself in an area of sacrifice. It is an idea of, of being the opposite of prideful. No one's going to say that to me. No one's going to do that to me. My friend's not, I'm not going to have that type of friend, okay? And I can't believe that happened to me. Humility is the opposite of pride. Humility needs to be practiced in all of our relationships. Seeing others is more important than self. And obviously, it's interesting that, that 1 Peter 5 talks about the fact that you are to in a church, humble yourself under the elders. Humble yourself under the leaders. At the same time, the leaders, like the elders, are not supposed to lord it over them, so they're supposed to act humble. And so you work together, so you don't end up with this like dictatorship of our elders over our people. But there's a reality when the elders make decisions, sometimes you don't like them, you're not the elder. So you got to humble yourself. And, you know, we just went through a really hard time with certain things in the world, right, where many decisions people didn't like. But the idea is humility keeps us together. Humility keeps us together. Pride divides. So you see that in a church. You see it in so many areas. Every church I've been to, I grew up, and I've never really ever left the church. I got saved at Grace Brethren in Columbus, Ohio. Then I went off to seminary. They sent me off to seminary. They said, you should go. All right, so I want you to understand that then I was at John MacArthur's church, Grace Community Church, while I was in seminary, uh, and went, so it was never the intention to stay, and then I went to Indian Hills in, in Nebraska, and it was never the intention to stay. They knew I wanted to be a senior pastor, and yet, ironically, in all of those churches, I saw church disunity, sometimes church splits, and, and what was very evident was that humility wasn't being practiced. And so, so I'm just telling you, make sure you have humility and make sure you have it in your marriages. Make sure you have it in your friendships, all right? Number three is pray for unity. Turn to Philippians 4, 6. Pray for it. And, and I think this is interesting. Again, in the context, remember I said Philippians is a book about joy and unity that Gil Rue wrote on um, as a book, but it's, it, it, most commentaries recognize that as the general theme of this book. In Philippians there is the exhortation in verse 2 in chapter 4. I urge you, O Dia and Syntica, to live in harmony in the Lord. We don't know what the exact situation was, but can you imagine being two people who get put into a Bible saying, look, I, I, the Apostle Paul is so aware of these two women, I just want them to be united. That's the idea of being harmony, that your two names get, get put in Scripture. And so Paul says, I want to live in harmony. Can't you do this? 
And, and so as he works through this chapter, you come to verse 6 and he says, But be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the, the, the idea of anti-war, disharmony is not part of peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so I just tell you, pray for it. Make sure that this is something that you're praying for. And often when you pray, you're going to look and say, what can I do to keep harmony? What can I keep, do to keep peace? What can I do to keep the church united? So that's what we're, we're, we're looking at. What can we do to keep unity? And then fourth, forgive one another. Back to Ephesians. Remember, we just talked about this chapter. About, it was one of the best chapters in the scriptures on what does unity look like. When Paul wraps this entire section up, he says this in chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. And then he throws this line in. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Which ties in to Matthew 18, the entire, you know, this entire section which we're going to go to later that, that, that deals with confronting and talking to people about sin but it's all wrapped up with the idea of the, the forgiveness that a king needed to, to, to give to somebody. And when that second person doesn't give the same type of forgiveness, God says, you're under judgment. Um, because you can't forgive. And the application is that Jesus Christ has forgiven us an incredible amount of sin. How dare any of us say, oh, they offended me so much that I cannot stay friends with them. I cannot stay united with them. I mean, this isn't be kind to the unbeliever. This is a passage, the one another's, and there's 41 or 42 one another's in scripture that deal with how believers treat one another. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. So I just pulled that idea of forgiveness out because I know it's critical because we all feel at times we're offended. And so the reality of it is, is you're never more like Jesus Christ than when you forgive someone, I think. And, and so how important that is. And then lastly, go to Matthew 18 that I, I alluded to, because for, when we talk about unity, it's not head in the sand that you're ignoring things and you're not talking things through. I think that is the way the world often thinks unity is maintained. You, you need to talk to people. And this is a passage of scripture that's well known for church discipline and church discipline always sounds so negative but listen to me church discipline is going on all the time when two people talk things out and and i'm having a hard time getting to matthew 18 here but i want to read verse gosh my fingers are all sticking sorry about that matthew 18 verse 15 which jesus says this if your brother sins go and show him his fault in private if he listens to you you have won your brother. There's the goal. What do you mean win? It's not like, uh, you know, where you, you have great victory over them. Because um, I laugh because I don't know if you guys all know. When Becky and I first got married, we had contests on everything. Who got home first? Who did this? Who did that? And we had a victory pose where the other person stood over the other one and went like this. Okay. All right. <laughs> so... You know, it was all done in love, okay? But the idea of, like, 
you confronting someone and then doing like a victory dance isn't what God is saying here, that you won your brother. He's talking about unity that you have, that, that you're together because the world ends up gossiping and hating and talking about people. And then, and then what happens is then you got disunity. And I tell you, I learned this. I've shared this before. One of the very first things I learned at Columbus um, Grace Brethren Church that somebody was talking about me behind their back. And when I found out, well, I found out only because somebody brought that person to me to make sure that we talked things through. Well, listen, I'm friends with that person now 45 years later. Otherwise, I would have ended up, you know, not, not having a friendship. And listen, you know, we may not like, we may not like sometimes talking to one another because it's tense. You know, this is an area, and, and, and I deal with it, and I get it. You know, you can go to somebody in love and you can try and tell them the, the, something that you think is wrong. And, and sometimes it does hurt. And I get that. And I do that. And I've reacted wrongly. I recognize that. And so I get it. All right. But long term, you just keep working it out and you talk it through. And look at the end. You've won your brother. The world is filled with disunity. And God want, has given us a, mind, a, a, a methodology. And I think these five steps are great. Make it a goal, work at it, pray for it, work at forgiving one another, and practice confronting. And when I say confronting, I'm talking about talking. Like, look, life is messy, people, and life is not about avoiding messes. And the person that thinks they're just going to continually avoid messes in life, (laughs) they're going to be surprised. They're going to be really frustrated, all right? So I hope that today's study has helped, and so we just want to make sure that as you turn back to 1 Corinthians 16, okay, turn back to 1 Corinthians 16, what was Paul saying? Look, you've got a visiting pastor missionary. Verse 10, if Timothy comes, see that he's with you without cause to be afraid. He's saying to the church, don't let Timothy be afraid. Why? Because he's doing the Lord's work as I am. He's on my team. But you could cause him a lot of fear where maybe he wants to give up and he doesn't want to do ministry anymore because you're you're divisive and you're accusing him and you're not working things throughout with him. So Paul says, let no one despise him. Don't have a negative attitude towards him. Verse 11, send him away on, in peace. Send him away because he's lived harmonious with you while he was with you. Recognize that he was the one who's been given this position, not you. And so that he may come to me for I expect him with the brethren. This was a strong warning to Timothy. Um, for, for a, a, a strong warning for Timothy, for the church. And remember, Timothy was no slouch, but even he needed to be protected to keep unity. Paul did not want Timothy to quit. Protection is the goal here, not just to protect a young man, but to, to protect the church. And I always say this, if Timothy needed protected, what about us? So remember, Satan's alive, sin is active, none of us are omniscient, that we have an ability to be sovereign so we can control everything. We can't. So things are going to happen where we don't always have all the information. And so here, I hope you've been blessed by this study. Like I said, this was intended to be one study, but now it worked over three times, and so we're finally done. And I'm hoping, though, that it causes you, not only in the church, but in all of your relationships, to have a greater understanding of how unity is achieved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for allowing us to see the mess in life. What a mess it must have been to have a church going to go after the, after the missionary. But God, um, 
you wanted us to see. Your people aren't perfect. None of us are. And I pray that this study today has greatly helped us have a better understanding of what unity looks like as well as how to achieve it. In Jesus' name, amen.